Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, and this is the Gardening Quandaries segment, episodes, whatever we're going to call these. We're not sure. We're just kicking them off here. Uh, but these are your homeowner questions that come into the office, and we're going to be answering these in these short little bits that we will be posting online uh, for you to uh, hopefully answer some questions that you might be having in your very own garden and landscape. So, Wendy, a producer of the Good Growing Podcast, if you wouldn't mind reading off these questions, please. It would be my pleasure. Our first question is about tomatoes and peppers. Um, they have some, like a lot of us, got a little excited about putting out plants and now the weather is not cooperating um, and we might have some 40 degree weather coming up. What should we do? So I would say if you haven't put them out yet, wait. Wait until we are consistently getting lows, lows are in the 50s consistently. Um, if it gets dropping down into the 40s, that'll set the plants back. Um, tomatoes, peppers, those type of things like warm soils. So the, the other thing that I'm thinking about with um, if you have already planted your tomatoes, what should we do then in that regard? So I know there's, there's some products um, like wall of water, where it's basically a bunch of tubes you fill with water and you can put those around your plants. Um, water will absorb heat during the day and slowly release that at night and that'll bring that temperature up around your plants. Um, you could try covering them, you know, put a five gallon bucket or something like that over them as well. Somewhere, some, use something to kind of trap that heat um, with those plants, keep them a little warmer than they would be otherwise. So like cutting off the bottom of a gallon uh, milk jug, plastic milk jug, would that work? Yep, that would work. Make sure you put the lid back on so all the, the air doesn't go up to them, but. Well, I think the thing, uh, you know, like Wendy said, everyone gets so anxious, like in central Illinois, it is, uh, what's the date, the, the holiday, which we typically are not supposed to recommend holidays, but usually it's Mother's Day in central Illinois. We say, all right, after like the May 10th ish, you can plant things outside. But remember, I think it was in 2020, we had a frost event. Was it May 11th last year or it, it was late? It was after the the last that freeze final freeze date that we normally have just because you know we say you can plan out may 10th or mother's day does not necessarily mean you are still going to be immune from a, a late frost or freeze i'd say even then usually you want to put pep wait another week or two after you plant tomatoes for peppers because they really like warm temperatures and if you get them out a little early they'll just sit there and do nothing for maybe a few weeks before until it gets warm enough and then they'll start growing on you Okay, with the cold weather, we've gotten some uh, questions about plants that have black and brown foliage. Is that from the cold temperatures we had like a week or so ago? Hmm. Or could it be? <laughs> or something else nefarious going on? It depends, right? Right, everybody? <laughs> we've kind of had some cool It's complicated and it depends. Mm -hmm. Right. So I say, I know in my yard, um, on some of the smaller uh, trees and shrubs that we planted last year, um, that frost we had was a week or two ago, they had, those plants had just started setting up some new foliage. Um, and you can see a lot of that, especially on the tips and the margins is kind of burned brown and black. So I have a feeling that's why a lot of this stuff, um, it had new growth. It wasn't really all that hardy. It was real nice and soft, succulent growth. And it just kind of got nipped um, by those freezes and 
you know, that stuff will die off and they'll send out new leaves. Really, assuming it's the frost, that's really nothing mm-hmm. to worry about. Yeah, it, generally speaking, yeah, we're seeing a little bit of leaves that have a little bit nipped on the margins there. Um, so that could be the frost. So, you know, someone might say, oh, well, could it be like a, you know, moisture, you know, too much moisture, some type of rot or something. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's been fairly dry so far this spring. If you've, if everyone here has kind of seen that same trend here in West Central Illinois, or is it, uh, you know, what's the moisture like for us? Um, so I've been tracking the moisture and I think we're approximately two inches above uh, where we were last year. Um, and I think we were probably spot on last year. So, I mean, two inches isn't a, a lot, but uh, we have been a little bit more moist than we have been in, in the past year. And I'll say if it is a disease, that's going to more than likely continue to spread. With a, with a freeze, you get that initial damage. And that's not going to spread. So if it's, you know, that that blackened area, that brown area on those leaves, if that's not getting any bigger, I, I would lean more towards frost or some other abiotic. Whereas if it's spreading to other plants or, or those spots are enlarging on those plants, then you may want to think more disease issue. Okay, so for um, some of our perennial vegetable crops, say like rhubarb or asparagus, um, what should we be looking for? Um, with those, is it okay to harvest after we've had a freeze like this? Well, Martha Smith, who will be a guest on the podcast here in the future, she routinely says, when in doubt, throw it out. Um, you know, it, when you're dealing with rhubarb and it's, it, it undergoes some type of a freeze event, uh, that oxalic acid that's in the leaf moves down into that petiole or the stalk of that plant. Um, and that can be toxic to humans. So, you know, that's why we say avoid that. You know, a lot of times you'll see that frost damage, you know, a wilted or mushy stem, um, but you just you follow the, the safest precautions as you can and, you know, when in doubt, throw it out as Martha would say. And then we have a question about cedar apple rust ID. Um, how do you know what it is and what should they do about it? So it's very unique looking. Um, It kind of reminds me of like those balls that uh, we'd have as a kid to like all the little spikes on it. Uh, But yeah, it's it's interesting. And as the name suggests, it's like a a rust color. Um, And so this person had found it in their cedar tree. Um, And it's not something that's going to kill the tree. Um, but it will spread over time. So if you don't want it to just kind of uh, have like a Frankenstein or a Halloween <laughs> tree, um, you may decide to cut those out uh, to prevent it from spreading because over time it'll dry out and uh, spread spores, which is just going to make it worse. Um, and so if you wanted to, you, you could uh, cut those galls out Um, You could also just leave them if that's what you want to do. So this person, it was an older tree. And so he was going to cut out the galls that were closest to the ground and leave the ones in the upper canopy. uh, So you couldn't really easily reach that. They do have fungicides available. I don't know, Chris and Ken, if you know how effective the fungicides are. Um, Some papers I had read suggested not, not wasting the time or money on the fungicide. 
but I have no experience with it, so I can't really speak. Let's say for the the cedars, um, you know, if you were going to spray those, that would be more in the the summer and fall when you'd be doing that. Um, kind of the, the big issue with cedar apple rust is when it gets on apple trees um, and crab apples. So that's one of those diseases that needs two different hosts to complete its life cycle. So this time of year, we're finding those galls on those cedar, like you mentioned, Katie. Then those spores they're releasing, that's going to the, to the apple trees, the crab apples, stuff like that. And those will cause typically yellow spots on the leaves. You may have a red halo or margin around those spots. And that can you know, cause, if you're growing apples and stuff, that can cause some issues with um, your yield and stuff. Um, so you could, you could spray for that, you know, with, with apple trees, especially for homeowners, typically recommend finding resistant cultivars for that. Try to avoid um, some of those issues off the bat with that stuff. But if you're going to uh, have the juniper this in your yard, absolutely worth leaving it if you don't care if it infects your apples or crab apples because I think that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's like <laughs> some alien has laid its eggs on your tree. It's so weird looking. Um, I had them on my um, Taylor junipers in my backyard and um, it was all kind of scattered throughout the canopy there and I just they're smaller trees so I just pulled them off by hand but I left a couple because I wanted to see them turn into that gelatinous blob with all of those tendrils or teleomeres, whatever you call them, um, popping out is really neat. Yeah. What does it feel like? Uh, I feel snot. like it would just feel like a, like snot. Like a dry snot, I think. Hmm. That's cool. You tell you're a parent. Yes. <laughs> Kids, come look at this. Touch it. See what it tastes like. No, don't eat it. Don't eat no, it. Don't, <laughs> it. Don't, do that. don't do that. And then our last question is, um, we have a homeowner who wants to spray their lawn with 2,4-D and they want to know if it will kill their hostas. Uh, so if you spray your hostas, there's a good chance you're gonna kill them. Uh, but if you stay away from the hostas, uh, you should be pretty uh, okay. So we'll use 2,4-D to control broadleaf species in our, in our lawns or our uh, buckhorn plantain or um, dandelions. Um, and so hostas are also considered or are in the broadleaf family. Uh, and so actually in the plantain family, uh, which if we're killing buckhorn plantain, we're probably going to kill our hostas as well. Uh, so if you can avoid spraying your hostas or getting too close to them, um, that would be a good idea if you want to keep your hostas around. Yeah, never, never forget those ornamental plants. A lot of them are broadleafs along with the, the trees out there. So, but does 2,4-D, is, is that the one that also has a risk of volatilizing? So if you spray it on like a hot day, would it like turn into a vapor and move? Is that one of those? Yeah, I think it has the potential, but I don't think it's quite as bad as dicamba. Okay. Uh, but a lot of times if you buy, well, you can buy 2,4-D on its own, but um, a lot of times like our our lawn or our uh, weed lawn control herbicides that are pre-mixed that you can buy at a box store. Uh, a lot of times it'll have 240 and dicamba in it. So you really have to be careful with that too. Yeah, and this time of year it's not, and this time of year it's not too big of an issue with that volatilizing. It's yeah, it's mm -hmm. more of a, 
when we start getting into the summer when it gets warm. A lot of times when it gets, we start getting over 80, 85 degrees, that's when it really starts becoming an issue. Uh, you should always redo the label and you should not spray on a, a windy day because that can have issues as well. Or let's all be, let's, let's get on Wendy's page here, right, Wendy? And embrace the <laughs> My naturalist the hat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let me put on my other hat here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Pollinator source. There you go. Dandelions, mm-hmm. Creeping Charlie. It's all, all good stuff out there. Unless it's an invasive species, then it's bad stuff. Then just pull it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that was a lot of good information on a couple of questions that are coming into our extension office. So uh, Wendy, Katie, and Ken, thank you so much for uh, helping answer these questions. And we shall see folks next week with another round of gardening quandaries.